Hello, everybody, and welcome to Richard Skipper Celebrates. On a very special afternoon, we normally do these interviews on Monday afternoons at 5 p.m., uh, but there's a reason why we're doing today at 1.30, and I'll tell you all about that in a minute. I'd like to, first of all, thank Casting New Lives and Nightlife Exchange uh, for presenting this show and allowing me to come to all of you each day. Uh, I know that there may be other platforms that you may be watching on. You may be watching through a watch party or you may be watching through YouTube. But if you want your comments to be seen by both Marta and myself, Marta Sanders, that is, uh, please go to Richard Skipper Celebrates on Facebook and we will be able to see your comments. Now, um, I am waiting for Marta to arrive here. Uh, I am very, very excited about the fact that she's doing this. A few weeks ago, uh, well, when this pandemic first began, I was supposed to interview uh, Marta, and uh, we had a lot of problems with getting her on to the platform. Uh, I don't know if she can hear me wherever she is, but somehow she's left the building, and I need her to come back. So I'm just going to keep talking until she does come back. Uh, there she is. Uh, well, uh, a f but what happened was that Marta and I were supposed to do this interview. I was using another streaming service and we had all kinds of issues. After trying a couple of hours and various times, I was never able to get Marta onto the program. So last week, Marta reached out to me and she says, I would still love to do that interview if you were interested. And I said, pick a date and a time and let's do it. And she did. And the date and time that she picked was today. And she also mentioned, as I always do with all of these interviews, I always want to give back in some way. So I asked Marta if she had some recommendation for a favorite charity. Or, uh, and she mentioned the Bowery Mission, uh, which we are raising money for today. Uh, throughout the show, my dear friend Glenn Charlo will be posting the link for the Bowery Mission. Uh, when the link pops up, if you don't mind and if you can, uh, please make a donation to the Bowery Mission. And we will be talking about them a little bit later in the program about why she chose this organization and what they do. But first and foremost, here is my dear friend, Marta Sanders. Hello, Marta. Hi, Richard. Such a I, lovely time. Finally, we got it together. I know, we got it together and I see the shadow lurking around you. That must be your handsome husband, Gordon. Yeah, lurking is the right. Yeah. yeah, it's all about lurking. Like Danny's lurking through your house, or you're lurking. It's just all perspective. Right? It's all perspective. Now, before we start, I want to ask, how are you doing, by the way, in the middle of this crazy world we're living in right now? You know now? what? We're hanging in there, so grateful for so many things. And I think that's what we keep all of us. We just are counting blessings, counting. We just go, this is, it could be so much worse. Mm -hmm. uh, I find that periodically that gets too much the news, the whatever. I took a break from the phone yesterday. I just, you know, it just, I feel myself sometimes like everybody. I'm on this roller coaster of emotions. I don't know why. I kind of am just unsettled is the word because we were unsettled. And the news outside is so oppressive. And the how the, the person in charge is dealing with it and his lackeys. And it's a, this is a big time for everybody, but we have a roof over our heads. We have our health. 
we, we live in a little bubble where we are here on the Upper West Side. We've got a supermarket a block away. It's a little more expensive, but, you know, it does, it's fine. And we have the walk by the Hudson River right here. So I'm out every morning and I'm breathing and stretching and doing what I've always done and uh, watching the ducks and the geese and going very rarely into the center where there's any kind of activity. I'm learning like everybody about the mask. I try to find times that I can go that I don't have to have it on my face at all times where I'm walking on the other side of the street. So nobody's walking that side of the street. I don't go down by the river on the weekends. I have certain quiet benches I can go to, take it off, that kind of thing. Uh, really, you know, just like everybody up in limbo, but, but we're well, we're well. Now, the last time that you and I physically saw each other was on March 8th at Birdland, uh, where you were appearing with our dear, dear, dear friend, Leanne Borghese in right. show broads. Right. Um, well, that was really, you know, just before everything crumbled. Who would have totally. thought? I remember that night, uh, Mark Nadler at the show, and I went up to hug him, and he went, no, no, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Because he had just, can't. Uh, his show in London had just right. canceled. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think you and Leanne were planning on going to London. Danny we and were, I... Uh, but Danny, we were going to go to, we were going to San Francisco. We were going to play Feinstein's at the Nico. Mm -hmm. That never happened. But yeah, I know you and Danny were going to London. We were going to well. go to London in August. Uh, our dear friend Kathleen Hassett-Hockberg, who's watching, said she was sh sitting with me, which is true. We were there enjoying this yeah. incredible show, which we're going to get to as well. A lot right. of things you have to hang on, folks, because we're going to keep you on the precipice throughout the show. Uh, oh. But uh, you know, what was your schedule like uh, prior to, let's say, March 12th? when all the theaters in uh, New York shut down? Well, we were busy, busy, busy reworking the show. We, we, we'd done the show before, and this was our second time out with it. And we spent, I don't know, 20 hours, a long time going back over it. We kept reimagining it, trying to grow the show. Um, because the first time there's some, you know, it's like any show. And this is a big one. This had script mm -hmm. and, and there were two of us and sight gags and all kinds of and boas and feathers and things that had to be worked into it. You had to remember along with the songs and everything. So I realized that we were so intense in that. Can you see me, Richard? I can see you perfectly. You look Perfect. great. Good, because I'm looking at a black screen now, but I'm not going to try to change it because I no, don't want to. can see you. Can you see me? No. No, it doesn't okay. matter. But you know okay. what? I know what you look like. And I'll, I'll remember, <laughs> I put it in my memory. I'm an actor. That's good. Okay. It doesn't matter. It's done. So anyway, we, we, um, we were busy, busy, busy doing that. And what I do remember was there were a couple of people that had called right before the show and decided they couldn't come to the show with the virus. I was, I don't remember that I was really that aware of it. We were so mm -hmm. in, intense and in getting this show back up and everything that uh, I clearly, I wasn't thinking about the rest of the world. So I remember kind of being surprised kind of what are really what's happening. Um, so we busy, busy with the show, uh, which normally I'd be doing that. They were doing various concerts and things and uh, getting ready to take it on the road. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the midst of all this, 
uh, mm. happy birthday. You had a birthday. I did the following and weekend. The following weekend. And uh, I know that a surprise party was being planned for you. We were all yeah. waiting in the wings, but we were also hearing everything on the news. I and know. that was when we first heard that new word in our life, uh, social distancing. Uh, yeah, right. Although I prefer physical distancing instead of social distancing. Um, but, uh, you know, how is the rest of your family dealing with this? You know, it, depending on where people live, depending on what their circumstances are, uh, one of our daughters is back living with us for a while. So she's same situation we are. The other daughter uses her uh, fire escape. Mm -hmm. As I know, some people are doing, uh, Mary Sue Daniels has put pictures up where she's got her pillow and stuff on the fire escape. She can sit out there. Our daughter's doing that a little home away from home. She, uh, she adopted a dog like a lot of people are mm -hmm. doing. And, and this is her, she's a first time dog owner. And this has been a really great uh, experience because being alone, which we're not alone here, uh, she's alone. And for all the people that are alone, as she said, she doesn't mind being alone, but she doesn't even have the option to say, let me go out and hang with some people at the bar or whatever. So that's, she's dealing with that. She's okay. And the dog has helped a lot. And I think once I realized what was going on, which I learned in a family zoom meeting, um, I also was more proactive in reaching mm -hmm. out. So and my brothers, we're all, we're, everybody's knock on wood. We're okay. Thank we're God. Okay. Now, yeah. do you have any type of uh, structure or routine that you've built into your life since this is all happening? Well, as I said, I've always done my walk by the water in the morning and that's my time to by the Hudson river. And that's my time to clear my head and to do my breathing exercises and my strength training. And, um, uh, that gives me, great power in the morning. Uh, normally I would be out running around like everybody. Mm -hmm. So I'm finding that my focus is more, I'm doing things that I remember I did when I, when the kids were at home, I have two daughters and born and raised on the Upper West Side here. And they were 20 months apart. And there were years there where they would go to school and I would have a break. But there were times when I had the break that what I did was I would watch entertainers, mm -hmm. particularly Spanish, some Portuguese, Fado, but especially Spanish um, from all over South America, because that was my training ground. Your and first so, album, your first CD was all My first CD was in Spanish. And so I, I found myself doing that again and finding other artists that I hadn't, didn't know about. And I, that for some reason gives me great joy. It also, it's a real touchstone for me. Mm -hmm. uh, for the people that have seen me, um, I'm, there's a high drama that goes. I remember my aunt, my father's sister who was from Texas, she traveled the world, but when she went to Argentina, where my mother was from, she came back and she said, now I understand why, now I understand why you, are the singer that you are. Mm -hmm. So my influence has been these over the top, larger than life singers, which would be comparable to like a Shirley Bassey type thing, but she's not Latin, but it's that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And those, that's, that's what I watched. That's what inspired me. And that is your style. That's what you yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, it is what I do. 
and it's where I feel comfortable. And is it overly dramatic for some? Maybe, but it's how it's my voice. You know, as we all know, as as we communicate with our voices, uh, if that, however we communicate, we tap into the the spirit within us that tells the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I speak with my hands. I'm over the top. I'm serious. Mama, you're over the top? I don't know what that means. <laughs> ah! Oh my God. Oh my God. So I do a lot of that. I listen to Ted talks. I love Ted talks, Ted talks, oh, the too. moth. I love those. Yeah. Now, can I, McGrath is here and she has, uh, she said that she would love to take Latin lessons from you. Have you thought about teaching? Take, teach Latin lesson. What Spanish lessons? Spanish. Spanish lessons. Yes. No, I haven't taught it. No, I wouldn't teach Spanish. Okay. No, okay. I would. I I can speak it, but no, no, no. I could no. But thank you, Katie. That's a okay. lovely thought. Now you were born. Hola, como estás, Katie? You were born in Austin, Texas. Do you right. still have family there? Not anymore. My okay. brother, my older brother. I'm the second of five, okay. and my older brother went to law school in Austin, and he stayed there, and. Um, with his wife and three children and his whole adult life was there. At the end, he moved out to Portland, Oregon. And, but he was a lawyer and he, so I would go down to Austin because of that. My Mm -hmm. dad was from Fort Worth. So I had the Texas and I was born in Austin, Mm -hmm. but left when I was four. So I, my memories of Austin were just when I would visit Lynn, my older brother. Now, I misunderstood Katie. She's not asking for you to teach her to speak Spanish. She would like you to teach her Latin flair lessons. Latin flair. I can do that. Katie, you Uh, and I. Yeah, we we can do that, Katie. Okay. And Leanne Borghese has joined us, so she's saying hello. Um, Now, Austin, you know, and I don't know if this is something that always was in place or if it's just in recent years, but they have a very vibrant and thriving art scene. Yes. Uh, was that going on at any time when you were there? Not, not to my knowledge. I wasn't there. When I was there, it was really family visit type uh-huh. things. I'm trying to think. I mean, my brother was involved he, with the art scene there. But no, it wasn't. I mean, I, I visited Austin, what, three times. So Your father was a teacher, am I correct? My father was, he was an editor. Mm-hmm. He was a uh journalist he was a he was when we were in bogota colombia he he did various jobs Mm -hmm. so it was all initially it was with the american french service committee which is a quaker organization out of philadelphia Mm -hmm. uh he became a quaker in college and so he founded the American Friends Service Committee, which is a Quaker organization that would go into war-torn countries after the war and then help the people that were there. And so uh, he was in that. He was in, uh, it, it was uh, songbooks and things, which he was always involved in because he had, oh God, it's so complex. But anyway, he also spoke I love Spanish. I absolutely he would put these small f- uh, songbooks together that were distributed to Girl Scouts and group for group sings. My father was a square dance caller and a folk dance leader. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was how he was in Philadelphia working for the American Friends Service Committee and he met my mother. They said, well, if you're doing a, he, he was in charge of the entertainment for an interna- international group of students. And they said, well, you've got to get this uh, Phyllis Aiden. She does 
uh, stories, nursery rods in, in, in uh, Spanish, which is a very typical thing of Argentine long story. She did it. They fell in love. Boom, engaged. Three days later, she got the ring in the mail. And I was the second of five kids. So there was that. But he also, we moved. There was a series of events. So Austin, Texas, I was there till I was four. Then we moved outside of Philadelphia. And I, we, we were there for five years. And then we moved to three places in Ohio. For He was director of Caramu House in Cleveland, Ohio, which was an entertainment complex. There were three theaters. There was all kinds of things, all having to do with theater, music, and not that. Then we moved, and there were a couple of other things, not to worry. And then we moved to South America, Bogota, Colombia, where he was uh, in charge of the Peace Corps. Wow. In Colombia. So that's where I went to high school at Colegio Nueva Granada, which is up on the mountain. And that's where I graduated. And that was where I met my first voice teacher. She mm -hmm. was an American, very similar to the kind of person that I am. And, uh, and then we all took a year off between high school and college. My mother was born and raised in Argentina outside of Buenos Aires. My grandparents were Methodist missionaries. Oh my God, there's a lot of religion going on here. And uh, they founded a very, my grandfather founded a very fine boarding school, uh, Colegio Ward, which is outside of mm -hmm. Buenos Aires, about 50 minutes, a, you know, like a suburb. And um, she was born and raised there, the oldest of five kids. So she was completely bilingual. We all took a year off a gap year. We didn't call it that, but we took a gap year. So after I graduated college, high school in Bogota, I went to um, Argentina and I was at the school and I helped in the language lab making tapes. And I would go, go on the train twice a week for my voice lessons in Buenos Aires with Carmen Favre. And I remember going from the train to her apartment, very European in style. You know, Buenos Aires is like the Paris mm -hmm. of uh, South America and very much that style, European with the big high windows and the big shutters that would open. And I would go and studied with Carmen Favre. And then uh, we moved back. My dad was director of the Council for the Arts of Westchester County. And so I lived with them for about six months and then came into the city, the okay. American Musical and Dramatic Academy and took off. But that was the initial influence. So the Spanish singing in Spanish, having it around me was just very much a part of my life. And clearly I have a theory that where you go to high school is what, is predominant in your life in terms of, um, I don't know, I it's like in your gut. That's all I can say, because all the traveling we did, all the moving we did, I always, I had this tie, this connection with Latin America that I've pursued and continued in my work. Now, I wanna ask you, did you ever see Bibi Ferreira perform live? Who? Bibi Ferreira. No, I didn't. Yeah, uh, she was, uh, she did the Brazilian Hello Dolly and the Brazilian no. uh, My Fair Lady. She did all of those musicals and everything. But was she was she Brazilian? She was Brazilian. That's probably why. Okay. If she'd been the Spanish one, I, I probably would have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now you said you grew up watching these entertainers uh -huh. on TV, I'm assuming. Uh, or did you see them live? Or what was well, your exposure? Both. Both. Um, 
I mean, I'm trying to think of the TV. The, we had TV in the States. I don't even remember having TV in South America. Well, we what was your first exposure? Was there a particular moment in your life where you said, this is what I have to do with my life? Well, coming from a very musical family, we all sang together. We would hold hands around the table at Grace. We would sing in five languages. We would sing rounds. My mother was a singer. Mm -hmm. She was a choral conductor. My aunt, her sister, was a nightclub singer. Although I didn't watch her do her thing, I saw a little bit of that. But I always was very influenced by Aunt Mita. Mm -hmm. Very beautiful and a wonderful singer. Um, but we always had music around us. So... I would listen to my mother because she would sing in Spanish. She would always relate to it. So it was, there was a, the presence that was there. I knew there was a specific moment. That, well, there were two moments. One, when I was going down to South America, we went down on a ship. My mother said, let's sail down when we were moving down. And I remember being on board the ship going, I don't know what my life is, but I want to travel. And then that grew as I was dream thinking about what I wanted to do. First, I wanted to be a doctor. Then I found out how long it was going to take to study. I went, all right, maybe not so much. <laughs> and, then, and then I thought, maybe a nurse. And my voice teacher said in Bogota, she said, what are you going to do for college? I, well, I thought I'd be a nurse. And she laughed so hard, she fell off the chair. I said, what are you laughing about? They need good nurses. She said, what about your singing? And I go, I could do that on the side. So that was kind of how I was feeling about that because I didn't know. I remember as living overseas and when I came back and, and did start to think, what do I want to do? That started me thinking and I'd been taking voice lessons. I thought I would like to travel and if I can do it as a singer. That's what I'd like to do. That's what I want in my life. When I came to New York City and I graduated from the American Musical and Dramatic Academy and my great voice teacher, Paul Gavert, uh, it was during those early times I was dating a guy. It's a long story. I'm not going to go into it. I was hired to go and sing in Santa Domingo. And I got into the hotel and I got into my room. And I remember as if it was yesterday and I thought, and this is what I want. This is my life mm -hmm. to be a singer traveling. So now, that is that where you were when the opportunity came for you to record your first CD or your first album? It was an album then. No, no, that didn't come till later. I had always believed that because I'm so larger than life, uh, that I wasn't the best one for recording. I didn't listen to my, I just felt that, that that wasn't what I felt. I felt if I was going to record that the best recording for me would be in Spanish because that album is boleros, which are the, the love songs, the very, very famous, whatever, Besame Mucho and all of those that everybody knows that, Oh, I love that song. And they play them, orchestras play them and people dance or skate that music, very traditional. Uh, and so I just thought, well, if I do a CD, it will be in Spanish. And I did. And at what point in your career did that happen? Were you already doing stage work or? I yes, I was already. Yes, I was already, already had kids. So I got married in 81 and the uh, following year we had our first child. Mm 
So it was in the 80s. That's all I remember. You know what? It's a mush. It's <laughs> all a mush. The second kid came 20 months late. Here in the apartment where we are, the Upper West Side. It, uh, but it's a mush. Anybody that's had kids and small kids, you know, it's a mush. Mm -hmm. So I look back and I go, when did that happen? I don't know. In that area. And that did time. you have, uh, I mean, most of us who go through whatever phase we go through, uh, have that musical theater phase that we go through. Now, I know, of right. course, that you were in the original, a lot of people may or may not know this, the original Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, were you, was that your first uh job on Broadway? Was that your first equity card? How did that all come about? So I got my equity card right out of AMDA. I uh, got into uh, Man of La Mancha, uh, Summer Stock, Stephen Slane. And it was up in the on the Cape. And it was Lawrence Guitard and Marilyn Child who did it on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And I got into that company and this, the, the theater that I did at the beginning, the truth of it was because I could sing a low F. So I was the housekeeper and the innkeeper's wife in Man of La Mancha. I was probably the youngest member of the cast playing like the oldest characters mm -hmm. uh, because I had this low F. Then I did another summer stock thing where it was three job, three shows, and that was out in Indianapolis. But it was Man of La Mancha where I got my equity card. Mm -hmm. And then I'm auditioning for shows, and I'm getting – I had people applaud me, but they didn't know what to do with me. Mm -hmm. uh, my voice teacher, Paul Gabbard, had said when I first went in, he said, your big pro – well, several problems, but the big <laughs> problem <laughs> – all right. The second problem was I sang too loud. So I had to pull, I had to learn how to hit the back wall instead of the, you know, a little over the top. Let's mm -hmm. just be, call it as it is. But he said, you're going to grow into your voice. And he was right. He said, you're, you've got this huge instrument and they're not quite, but you're for a young woman, you're not the ingenue role. You're not the little. So anyway, I would get, I got a lot of, um, response people would applaud and oh they're great you would be great come back but we don't know what to do with you but you're the one with the high c i was the one that people hated i'd clear my throat and i'd go out and sing an audition you know first thing in the morning sign up go go back sing hit the high c go back to bed did you enjoy that process of auditioning or was it something that you just accepted as part of the game or where did you fit in with that did I enjoy it? Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, you know, it was what, what we were doing. We were mm -hmm. all struggling together. Mm -hmm. I came, this was 19, I came to the city in 1969 and wow. most of the time lived on the Upper West Side. And I was always, we were all theater kids. I mean, mm -hmm. we were all, we were waiters. We were my, my friends. I had uh, my two roommates, Bobby and, and, um, Arthur. And they were both singers and dancers. And they were doing at that time, they were doing one show after another. Hello, Dolly, Mame, you know, the usual suspects mm -hmm. all around. I can't tell you how many productions I saw of those with my my roommates in them. And we it was all theater and we were all dreamers and we were young and we were kids and it didn't matter. We're struggling together. Mm -hmm. All I remember about all those days, because I've heard about how during that time it was dangerous. I don't remember that. I don't remember anything. All I remember is how much we laughed. Mm -hmm. All right. We were stoned a lot of the time too, but I mean, we, yeah, come on. But you if still you remember, remember it. That's 70s, a good thing. 
if you remember the 70s, you weren't here. That's right. He laughed and laughed and laughed. And I had started singing in cabarets because I had um, I had gotten a job on West 72nd Street. Jeff Harner worked there as well, not at the same time. Uh, but at Mrs. J's Sacred Cow. Oh, my I was God. On the cowbells. Oh, yes. please. And we were supposed to look like we were in rehearsal. So we wore leotard and tights. Not nothing, just leotard and tights. So I'd put the pen in my, you know, bust and I'd put the the big check be under my my back there between the leotard and the tights, right? And then I'd get up and I'd sing and one night that some every once in a while somebody would come in we'd sing together it was nice some guy came in spanish and we sang in spanish he said and he was singing at Asti's. he said oh this is great he said come with me to Asti's. Oh so i God. sang with him at Asti's. do you remember Asti's? i do, that was I do. on 13th street i haven't thought opera. about that place in years i know that was all opera and that i did musical comedy stuff at mm -hmm. that point but um I, although i'd studied opera but that's not what i did and so then Somebody heard me and it was the Tijuana cat. Oh, he sang at the Tijuana cat. Come with me to the Tijuana cat at which was this little tiny club right across the street from Dotel Mamas wow. on 46th street. And it's now a Japanese it restaurant. Danny's, Danny's Grand Sea Palace. Oh, there's before Danny's. Okay. Okay. There's before Danny's. And it was the most, it, I went in with him and I just sang with him and they said, oh, come and do a show. And I had been working on a show with a friend who was a piano player, Bobby Shepard. And I had another friend, Freddie Diaz, who everybody, we were all creative, you know, just oozing with creativity. So he was my director. So we'd been working on something. Well, now we had a date. So we said, okay, we got to do it. And that became, began the cabaret career. I remember being very clear that I needed to sing because I wanted to sing so I could develop my own style. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't develop my own style unless I was just singing. And I was not being given the opportunity in theater. They're just, it was not coming fast and furious. And I thought, but I gotta sing here. I can't just be waiting for these things. So that was how cabaret came into my life. And I did all the little rooms. I was Ronnie's Roost and Bush's of Central Park West. Oh my God, I performed. Oh I got, oh, I found the pamphlet the other day, my, my uh, whatchamacallit, portfolio that we used to <laughs> carry around yes. with all the, all the cards, all the things. And it was like a $5 cover, $5 minimum. Uh, and you just bounce around. I remember passing, going into one club, and because at the same time was um, uh, uh, Lori Beachman. Wow. This was before she was on Broadway. And so we were, you know, we were just out there. I remember when Karen Mason came into town with Brian Lazarus. That was a little bit later. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so we, I just did this whole circuit and that was a whole community. And we just played. We just laughed and loved and played. One of the people, so I was singing waitress, Mrs. J. Sacred Cow. One of the other waitresses was very close to a very close friend of Carol Hall, who wrote Whorehouse. Mm -hmm. And one day and she would sing from her songbook, you know, Jenny Rebecca and all that. And I loved Carol Hall's music. Oh, so me too. Me too. one night she said, we're going to go see Carol Hall. She's going to perform at the improv. You want to come? I said, sure. And I went in and I saw her, loved her. We met. I said, you know, I'm thinking of putting Jenny Rebecca in my act. And that was how we met. Well, she came and she became a regular in my shows. 
I got a call from her at one point and she said, I'm working on this show, new musical, and it's at the actor's studio. And I have a bunch of actors here, but I need somebody to come and sing it so I can hear the music sung. Would you come in? And I went, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, what? come on. <laughs> so I showed up and the party continued. What was funny about Whorehouse was that Carlin Glenn, who was a wonderful actress, had Pete Masterson's wife, and she played Mona. She played the the lead, you mm -hmm. know, the the um, uh, whatever, the head of the whorehouse. And the so madam. Yes. the madam, thank you, the head, the head <laughs> mistress, the head of the whorehouse. I like that better. The head of the whorehouse. The head of the whorehouse. Right, and they Carol would write a song, and she would give it to me. The problem was she wasn't a big singer. And here I am, this big singer. Mm -hmm. And so Carol would come in to hear the music sung. She would give me the song. I would sing it. And the next thing you know, they're yanking it out of my hand, giving it to somebody else, either to her or to one of the other girls, because the happy townsperson, which was all that I was at that point, shouldn't be blowing the roof off over the madam and the lead characters. We used to laugh about that. Well, I followed this thing all the way up to Broadway. When we went to, we had a workshop at the actor studio. Then we went the showcase and that was where uh, Universal Pictures came in to the showcase. And that was where uh, Tommy Toon joined mm -hmm. the, the gang. And then we took it off Broadway. They'd written, she'd written a song, a whole number called Ms. Bell and her sex circus. And it was uh, two blocks from the Capitol building. You can get anything you want. Here's all this nonsense about a whorehouse where they're paying taxes, they're supporting the Little League, because it was just a political thing. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing. And they hired a dance team to come and dance it. It was this big production. Tommy Toon never knew what to do with the number. That was the truth of it. Mm -hmm. I remember my job, and that was my Miss Bell. I was Miss Bell. Mm -hmm. And I stood at the top of the staircase and I'm belting out this two blocks from the Capitol building. Very cool. And they're they garbage cans around and street people. I don't know. The show is running three hours. And so off Broadway, we got the magical um, whoever, Tommy or whoever, would like to see you on stage, you know, after the show. And there was the ghost light. And I was first there and I knew that that wasn't a good sign because they were doing cuts regularly mm -hmm. during that time. We would cut and then rehearse and then go on that night. Um, and there we were. And when they called the dance team in, Cameron and, and uh, Deborah, I knew what was going down. And that was when the number was cut. It was just, they, he just didn't know. It just didn't, mm -hmm. it, it didn't work. So I stayed with the show and I was, uh one of the girl I was one of the girls I was uh what is it E Lois I always said Eloise no Eloise. I always said no I always I didn't say Eloise I said e now I can't pronounce that that's good because Mark Nadler corrected me he said no it's E Lois I was always pronouncing it wrong but it didn't matter mm -hmm. uh I anyway so anyway so I I stayed with it but and then we went to Broadway oh and off Broadway I went on for Dolores Hall who play? Who is the maid? Mm -hmm. And she sang "24 Hours of Lovin'." Right. Well, I was the only other person who could sing that. This is off Broadway, and so they brought me. They, I understudied her. Went on for her six times off Broadway, uh, because, but it didn't make sense 
because the audience didn't know why is the maid the white girl in this setting that was a very clear mm-hmm. who was working and who you know in texas uh we had our backstory but whatever it was fun i did it but i and i went to broadway with the show but then i wasn't understudying anybody mm-hmm. i still stayed with dolores we'd become very close friends and so i was in her dressing room with her on broadway during the broadway run i thought i got anxious and having moved my whole life there was a very for a long time every two years would come by and my feet would get itchy i'd go i got to go i got to do something I, i'd get restless and i just thought i got to sing i got i got this running around i didn't people said how can you leave broadway i said well i'm going to go in the dressing room and pack my stuff and leave in my mind mm-hmm. it was very clear that i wanted to travel and sing and over being on broadway i thought in my naive mind i thought how can i tell somebody i'm a big star come and see me i'm the fourth on the left in the yellow dress uh, that was that was my thinking uh and i had auditioned for the cruise ships to go sing on the cruise ships and i got the job and i came in and i gave my notice like 2 months before I was so excited and I went off and I started singing on cruise ships and and then that parlayed into uh nightclub work in Central and South America and I traveled and sang and uh basically with my charts you know people and my boas bow, my big boa bag and I would go through these airports of course there was no security and um i would just kind of flutter my eyes you know go oh <laughs> somebody help me and they go oh can i help you señorita me puedo ayudar oh <laughs> i had bags of things <laughs> would you carry this and you carry this i had the time of my life mm-hmm. i really did it was the most extraordinary time after my shows often i'd go i'd be stay there change and go back and we would dance and i would be singing with big latin orchestras you know and and it was it was it was an extraordinary time a million stories all i remember in my life really is all the laughter and singing and speaking and, of laughter around that same time in your life somebody yeah. came uh, that was uh, your roommate was Houston Alres am i correct yes how did yes, that come about? i Houston is such an important figure in my life uh he was the one who got me up to sing the first time as Carol Channing that was all Houston's doing which I I'll tell you realize. another time this is about you and not me I didn't realize it well he and I had met through friends I don't know I mean he was a piano bars and you know and I was handsome all- handsome man oh very handsome and so talented and I we had become friends so I met him in the group and the those of us out there that were clubs and all of that and i met him and we become very good friends and i would sing and there was one time when he called me up he was playing at some place on the east side i want to say the townhouse but i don't think it was and he said you have to come in there as a waiter in here that looks and sounds just like you and he was <laughs> and i I've never and i went and i looked at this guy it was me it, and he sang just like me we actually yeah so i remember one time watching him he did a drag thing at one point and i sat behind him and watched him transform into me do you know his more do you, do you remember his name you know i don't and he wow. i don't remember his name i my big regret was that i never got a headshot of him cuz it was so 
eerie and his personality and his anyway. And there was about two weeks there that he contemplated maybe going straight. You know, maybe I was the answer. And I, I would have helped. I mean, I loved him. He was a, he was such a lovely guy. The problem was it was just no connection other than we dearly loved each other as friends. Well, it would be like making love with yourself. Well, yes. And we never even got that far. We couldn't get that far. We'd get as far as he would get drunk. Well, we did a lot of that too, but drinking, smoking, whatever, to try and loosen up. You know, it was many clues, but we were, for that moment in time, we were very, very close. And, and Houston was there. So now, he and if I I'm not mistaken, one night you were singing and a bloke from London or England came in. Right. And that changed your life. Right. He was, so Houston had, he was, had a piano bar that was in the old Edison Hotel. Mm -hmm. And it was in the coffee shop that was there that had been a, uh, Hungarian club at one for years and years, very ornate. And he had a little part of it and then it expanded. He was very popular. And after the shows, all the Broadway people would come in. And I was right across the street at that point at the, uh, what's now the Richard Rogers where Hamilton's playing. And that's where whorehouse was. Mm -hmm. It was the 46th street theater. And so I would go across the street and hang out there and get up and sing and, you know, Houston, one night, Gordon was in there with some of the lads, and um, and that was how we met. And that that two years went by. I mean, we'd met, we you know really liked each other a whole lot. But then I went off to sing on the cruise ships, and it's a lovely story. But I'm not going to do it now. But there was a back and forth, long and short. Two years went by, and then we reconnected, and we got engaged soon after and married even sooner after that. Cause I got pregnant a month after mm -hmm. we got engaged and, um, and that's it. And we're celebrating 39 years this year. That's incredible. 39 well, congratulations. Years. congratulations on that. Thank you. Now Thank I want to go back to, you know, because most of our listeners will, you know, are from the cabaret community. Mm -hmm. um, your earliest days in cabaret, which you described, mm -hmm. um, there've been a lot of changes over the years, mm -hmm. you know, looking back at that time and where you are now in your life and career and cabaret in general, what are the pluses and changes of the changes that you've seen happen over the years? What are the pluses? The pluses and the minuses. The pluses. Well, so the big difference in the seven before Mac, before Mabel Mercer, no, she's talking about the Manhattan Association of Cabarets and Clubs, right. not a and Mac computer. <laughs> no. Okay. Before the Bistro Awards, before before the cabaret convention with the Mabel Mercer, so this was long. This was the Wild West. We knew the club owners. We knew the people. It was a word of mouth. You pick up a phone. You'd book yourself. Oh, you always had friends that wanted to be your manager too. Mm -hmm. That was all part of it. Oh, that still goes on. Does it? Yeah. Yes. So, well, I'm so far over that, but you got, I mean, that was all part of the look I can hand, you know, I can manage you. Um, anyway, there was the wild west. I, so what I remember is there was a tremendous freedom because I know that the cabaret community came together in Manhattan association to give it some teeth, to give it more numbers, to give it a cohesiveness. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got that, but we had a very close community without that, but it, mm -hmm. it, 
we couldn't, it's true. We weren't sitting around going, well, how do we get the word out about the genre and how do we get more interest in it? Which was the point initially of the Manhattan Association of Cabarets. Uh, we just, I remember being very clear for now, this was for me that I wasn't interested in having reviewers come and review me at that point for a couple of years, because I didn't want to see in print the changes that I needed to make just in growth. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. thought, let me grow into this and then I'll get reviewed. And then I did get reviewed and the reviewers were, were out there. Uh, so the, the plus, I've, I've got to choose my words here. Uh, the, the Manhattan Association of Cabarets is very, very helpful, but there is a, of course, a private club aspect of it, which for some people, if you're not included in that club, mm -hmm. uh, you can feel left out. Yes. That, yes. That's what happens with clubs. You know, that there's a, I'm not suggesting that necessarily happened with me or sometimes I felt it, whatever. So it just changes the dynamics of it. That being said, the Mac has be Mac association has become so active in promote, not only promoting, but teaching and this real cohesive thing happening and the awards are great. And I mean, so there are many wonderful things about Mac. It was just different. It wasn't a better or worse. It was just very different. It, we, I wasn't, there is something to be said about not fighting for an award, not feeling if I don't get that award. Uh, we, so I came in, we were out there doing before awards. I was one of the first winners of the Beastro Award and the Mac Award. And I, I remember when I was called for them to tell me that either, well, Bistro Award, that I got it. That was Bob Harrington, who was a very famous uh, reviewer. And he and I were very close friends. And he called me and said, you've won this award. I went, oh, that's nice. I, that's how the same with the Mac Award. You've been nominated for a Mac Award. And I went, oh, okay, all right. That's so that was differently back then as well, wasn't it, Marta? Wasn't there a committee that nominated you for the Mac Award? And I guess now where people are yes. themselves. Yes, there would have been. Yes, yeah. it was very difficult. I wasn't involved in it at all. Mm -hmm. I was a phone call that I got this. I went, oh, okay. I remember with the Mac Award. So there I have the nomination. It's very new to me. And I had, at this point, I already, I had the children. Okay, so let, let's just put in the equation. It's all perspective, right? I had these two mm -hmm. little girls running around 20 months apart. And so everything was like, oh, really? Oh, okay. Is it something I have to dress up for? Oh, okay. I re the year that I was nominated, it was Nancy Labatt, mm. Karen Mason, Claiborne Carey, uh, uh, Nancy Timpanero, and myself. And I remember going to Don't Tell Mama, and I saw Nancy, and I was telling her once again that she should be recording because she her voice that that was mm -hmm. what she was born to do was to record. And we were talking about this nomination. I think we should just all sing together. That was also very Nancy, very mm -hmm. facing, not wanting mm -hmm. to be, you know, put herself in the front. And I thought, now, why would we do that? No, we need to sing separately. Mm 
Mm-hmm. The, that year, it was Karen Mason that won it. The next year, and I don't remember who I was up against the next year, but that was when I won it. So it was Karen Mason and me. But this was all very new. It was at the Village Gate downtown on Bleecker Street. And it was, uh, I remember that they served uh, saltine crackers with little pieces of American cheese. <laughs> That as it dried, it would kind of curl. I, I know. <laughs> so I remember that. And that was the night also when I won was when Jeff Harner won. Mm-hmm. And I remember running around town doing parties with Ruby Rims, who'd become a dear friend yes, because yes. I knew him before I got married. We'd played Provincetown mm-hmm. together. Oh, well, he was in one room and I was in the lobby. But you know what I mean? It's all relative. We were close. But anyway, so that's what I think of it's a very different world out there it, it is a very nurturing community mm-hmm. uh that i it's become so expensive the the, the reality with cabaret remember that five dollar cover five dollar minimum oh yes of course i do huge you you could afford to go and see somebody i it wasn't we weren't making money oh but this is another big thing i, was I have a question about... i want to get to this from leanne Bregazi. she wants yeah. to hear about what the first mac award was what was the physical oh, it, was a, it was a dog tag it was a dog tag <laughs> it was a dog tag and you and still tried... have it did they I ever do. replace it no, no, no. I never wore it. I, it's hiding in the back somewhere. I'll find, I have a vague idea of where it might be. And I took it to the jeweler to have my name put on it. And they put my name on Marta, S-A-N, next line, D-E-R-S. <laughs> it was great. I was perfection, perfection. That, that's right. It, now, before, yeah. you know, our, before our time runs out, I want to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about show broads. Yeah. And, you know, it, the magic that you and Leanne bring together. I love the fact that you say that when you saw Leanne, that you thought you were seeing a younger version of yourself. Yeah. And yet your talent just meshes so well together. And of course, it's not just the two of you. You have this incredible team around you. And I love the way that you've structured this show and you've created a theater piece as opposed to getting up and singing a few songs for an hour. Can you talk a little bit about the process? And yes. how it all came together. Yes. And just quickly, let me point out here, back in the day, we didn't do theme shows, mm-hmm. okay, which are very big and you do uh, composers and things. We didn't do that. That came in when KT Sullivan came in. Okay. She brought that because she was doing it all the time, getting bored. Let me do something interesting here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is we use piano. We didn't use piano, bass, drums, all of the instruments. So we weren't paying a big entourage. I'm just saying that was a big difference. And one thing that I miss, if I can jump in here for a second, mm. that I remember, this was Don't Tell Mama. It was mm. all of the, it, it, it was one show a night and mm-hmm. it didn't feel to me like a factory. Right. It was that, you went to see that star that night and right. then you weren't pushed out onto the street right. the minute the show was over. Right. But the money, it's so, the rents are so high and all that. And in order for the, you know, it's business. And mm-hmm. in order to get the money, make back the money for the cabaret, they got to turn them over. Yes, having three shows a night, it, that, that changed it. It became a factory. Mm-hmm. So let's get to Leanne Borghese, this stunning, right. amazing, talented Leanne. I had, in your show, you'd done one of your fabulous shows. And yeah. both she and I were on there. I'd gone to see one, but I'd been in one. We saw each other through your show. 
And then she was doing her solo show at the Triad, which is around the corner from me. And I thought, let me go. What could it hurt? I went in and I sat down and I was transported by a woman who had this amazing voice, amazing presence, all of the things that I appreciate and feathers and glitter. And I'm like a magpie. If it shakes, it feathers, it glitters. I'm on it like a cheap <laughs> suit. Remember, I was raised Quaker. Can yes. you imagine? So yes. Meeting for worship, silent <laughs> meeting for worship. Oh, please. So anyway, I just saw myself in her. I saw the size of the voice, of the energy, of the talent, the broadness of what she did and, and all the feathers, all the over the top that I love, have always loved. And so I waited and I, you know, afterwards we talked and uh, she said, why don't we do a show together? I think it was that night. If not, we got, had lunch the next day or soon after, why don't we do a show? And I said, sure, why not? Leanne's whole concept, she and her team, which are her close friends from California or wherever when she went to college, their whole concept of theatrical cabaret, of doing the kinds of things the, the, where you're telling a story in a different way. You have a script, which you can have a script when you're doing a show, you do, but this is different than just patter. This is a real storyline. Um, and, and in the style of what Charles Bush does so beautifully, that whole over-the-top stuff, um, which I relate to which I, my comedy, that's where my comedy comes from. So she brought her team in and I very happily jumped on board and said, you know, take me for a ride. And boy, did they ever. Mm -hmm. uh, Nathan, who was the writer, so funny, so smart, so clever. And uh, Nick, who directed us, and Dana P. Rowe, uh, wonderful, wonderful musical director. He's a composer himself. And so we put together this crazy script mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, for this old broad, learning these things is harder and harder. But boy, threw myself in so grateful. Love doing it. Have so much fun doing it. It's the funniest thing well, in the world. And she's a great foil for me. And I hope to God that we see you on the board sooner rather than later. I can't believe this, but we really are at the end of our show. But before we end, I want to say a few things. First of all, everybody that is here, Warren Shine is here, Chris Artur is here, a new friend, Gregory Hi, Johnson, everybody. Sandra Rabin Tyndall, who is my aunt, uh, wow. Rini Katz, Leanne Borghese, uh, Glenn Charlotte, who has been nice. posting uh, all the information here, Alan Choi from San Francisco, nice. Kathleen Hassett-Hockberg, uh, all of you, thank you for being here. Now, as I said at the beginning of the program, we want to raise money for the Bowery Mission. So all of you who are watching, if you can make any type of a donation, please do. Why did you choose this charity, Marta? Because the Bowery Mission is really like guys and dolls. That's that whole philosophy. Mm -hmm. And it's always taken care of the downtrodden. It's on the Bowery, which is now chic and fabulous. Mm -hmm. It was never chic and fabulous. For anybody who remembers back in the yes. day, they had the medium there. This is below Houston Street mm -hmm. and uh, on the Bowery. And they had the medium there that the drunks, the sad sacks, the downtrodden would stand in the medium and just beg. 
you know, for money, anybody going by. They have taken care of, since the late 1800s, they have taken care of mm -hmm. the people, that whole area, which was all the flop houses, because mm -hmm. that's where it was all industrial. And the one night rooms, you know, for a quarter and uh, all of that. That's so that's faded. Well, that's really gone by the wayside. There's still many people who use it and need it. But that area was like the center. Especially um, now uh, we need them. And we need them now more than ever. And they're so generous. And, and so I've always been giving to them. I love them. Well, Marta, I want to thank you again. Thank you all for being here. If you enjoyed the show, everyone, please go to my website, richardskipper.com. Put your thoughts about the show today. Uh, that helps to sell me in other markets. Uh, and we want to do more of these. At least I do. And thank you for taking the time with us. I want to remind everyone that on Monday night at 5 o'clock, I'm going to have Sue Mitsuki and David Sabella join me again. Uh, this is part two. Right. Of our previous uh, interview, and we're going to be talking about the business of cabaret, yeah. the things that a lot of people uh, take for granted. It amazes me how many times somebody will uh, call me up and they've invested in every aspect of the show except publicity, except taking care of this aspect. It's a business and we're going to be discussing that. So please join us on Monday. And this is to talk about their new book. Uh, so you want to sing cabaret. And if you want to hear great cabaret, Marta Sanders. Uh, I wanted to show two clips today. And unfortunately, we didn't get them here in time because they need to be condensed in this program. But you can go to YouTube and put in Marta Sanders. And there's a lot there. And I've been enjoying it as I've enjoyed you for years. I love, love, love you. I love, and I've got, I want to do uh, an afternoon or an evening with you and Leanne together. Great. I would love Lots to do that. Perfect. I love to Gordon. And everybody, I end every Danny. show by telling everybody to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. I want you to go to your Facebook page and you too, Marta, I want you to go to your Facebook page, look up your eighth friend, and give them a call just to say, I'm thinking of you today. And let me know how it goes. Keep thinking those good thoughts and make it a greater day. I love you, Marta. Love you too, Richard. Thank you so much. I Thank appreciate you. it. I've been through Reno. I've been through Beverly Hills. And I'm here. Reefers and Vino rest cures religion and pills but i'm here been called a pinko commie tool got through it stinko by my pool i should have gone to an acting school that seems clear still someone said she's sincere so i'm Black Sable one day, next day it goes into Hawk. I'm here. Top billing Monday, Tuesday you're touring and stuck. But I'm here. First you're another slow-eyed van, then someone's mother, then your camp, then you career from career to career 
I'm almost through my memoirs, and I'm here. I've gotten through, hey lady, aren't you who's it? Gee, what a looker you were. <laughs> or better yet, sorry, I thought you were who's it? Whatever happened to her? Good times and bum times, I've seen them all in my dear. I'm still here. Blush velvet sometimes, sometimes just pretzels and beer. But I'm here. I've run the gamut A to Z. Three cheers and damn it, say lovey. I got to all of last year and I'm here.